when Jesus came here, that he didn't just come so that he could just forgive us of our sins. He didn't die on a cross, die on a cross just to be raised from the dead, that he lived a life. He lived a life for 33 years. And he was in ministry for three years. And there was so much intentionality in, in the way that Jesus lived, that Jesus was doing something different. And I think that we, in this moment, were a product of that. Because what Jesus set out to do was he set out to build a family. That he was going to be the first of many brothers and sisters. That he was going to bring away. He was going to bring the kingdom of God through his sacrifice and make a way for us to be with our Father. But he was also there to show us. He was here to show us what it means to live in the way that God intended and created us to do. And so we're discovering Jesus. We've been discovering Jesus all through the book of Matthew. We just finished the book of Matthew yesterday. We're in Mark 1 today. And we're just taking time to go through the New Testament to discover Jesus. Because Jesus not only paid the penalty for all of our sins, He is the one that we're to look to when it comes to life and godliness. That God is pleased to give us the keys to the kingdom. That we have seen the likeness of God. We have seen God come among us. Jesus is Emmanuel. And so, I'm really excited about the opportunity that we have to dive into Matthew 28. So we're going into yesterday's chapter. But this is at the very end of the book of Matthew. This is Jesus' final words to his disciples. Imagine them at the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem. And Jesus is kind of, I mean, he's been there for 40 days, risen. He's appeared to 500 people. They've seen his scars. He's had breakfast with them on the beach. He's appeared to so many of his beloved disciples. And he, I feel like he kind of just draws them close into this moment and he tells them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that I've commanded to you. And I am with you always. He showed that even this morning. He is with us always. And then the most bizarre thing happened. The thing that the disciples probably had no clue was going to take place. Jesus is just... He's just taken up into heaven. And the disciples, it says that in the book of Acts that they were straining to see him. So it's almost like he's kind of... Like slowly levitating up towards heaven. And they're like looking. He's getting smaller and smaller. Okay, what's really going on here? And you got to imagine that they're just like... What just happened? What just took place? Like he has just proven that he is Lord, that he rose from the dead, and now he's, he's gone. And I can just kind of 
just imagine the disciples are just like, well, what now? What are we supposed to do? And I feel like there's a, there's a bit of humor in this, and this is just my interpretation. But I can imagine that Jesus gets up into heaven or out of view of the disciples, and he looks down, and they're still standing there looking up in the sky, like wondering if he's ever coming back. And I think he's like, all right, we've got to send a couple angels down there and let them know that, hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus is gone. He's gone up to heaven to be with the Father, but he's going to be coming back the same way. So go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. But Jesus' final words were very intentional. And just a window in, into my life, uh, my awesome bride, Lainey, she, uh, she's really patient with me. Uh, I, uh, I'm not very good at following instructions, especially if I get a lot all at once and right over the phone. I don't know if any of you guys can, uh, you know, relate to this at all, but if I get like a grocery list over the phone, uh, she has to make sure that the last thing that she says is the most important thing because all the other stuff is subject to being forgotten. There's like a 10% chance I'm going to get the whole list, Right. It's like, you know, hey, get, get bread, get bananas, get milk, and get toilet paper. We need toilet paper. Oh, okay. got it. Uh, and so I can just imagine that Jesus is in this moment. Because Jesus is prepared for this all along. When he called his disciples, he called them to something great. Three years ago, he called Peter from his boat, and he said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come. Follow me, and I will do something great through you. I will change you, and I will have a plan and a purpose for you. And so this has been his plan all along. God's plan A was that Jesus would come to give us access to the Father, show us how to live, give us the Holy Spirit, and then have us continue everything that Jesus is doing. There's a very interesting bridge between Luke and Acts. So Luke and Acts is actually written by the same author. And Luke says that he's, at the beginning of uh, Luke, he is telling, that he, he's telling Theopolis that he's giving an orderly account of all the things that happened. But then in Acts chapter 1, which is the bridge, so this is after Jesus has ascended, he says, this is the, this is the kind of the story, or this is telling everything that Jesus began to do. And see, at this point, Jesus is ascending. But Jesus is beginning something. He's doing a work. He's doing something unique in each of us. And he's giving us the opportunity to follow and to be his disciples. And I don't know about you, and this may be if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard the word disciple, discipleship. My role here is a discipleship pastor. Some people are like, I don't even know what that is. And don't worry, we'll get to that. But a lot of times we'll have kind of preconceived notions of what a disciple looks like. And, and so what I want to do is I kind of want to just unpack what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because we're jumping in at the tail end of the story of Jesus' ministry where he's giving them the Great Commission. But his work started when he was first initially calling those disciples and pouring into them and planning how to use them and use them for the kingdom. And so you may have heard this message before. 
And you may have heard something similar to this. People have used the scripture. It's a very commonly used scripture, especially when it comes to our role now as followers of Jesus. And for some of you, this may be brand new, this whole concept of making disciples. And that's okay. But I want to just kind of take you on a little bit of a journey of my own kind of wrestling with this, learning from this, learning from godly individuals, learning from the Holy Spirit, of what it means to to make disciples. Because I'll just give you a spoiler alert later on in the message. Discipleship and being in discipleship and being discipled by someone and a group of people absolutely changed my life. I can even look back on this past year in 2018. And I know that this year would be very different for me if I didn't have people in my life pouring in to my life, walking with me. And so, when it comes to making disciples, when Jesus is saying, I want you to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all I've commanded you, that phrase in the Greek, the going, the baptizing, and the teaching, they are all participles, which means they are all words that draw their power from one verb, and that controlling verb is making disciples. And so what Jesus is saying, just in the statement, in the way that he said the command, is that he says that going, uh, evangelizing, baptism, conversions, teaching, is really good, but it's good within the context of making disciples. You see, that's, that's our mission. And we celebrate baptisms here. If you've been to a baptism service, it's amazing. But we know that baptism is not the scorecard for Jesus. The scorecard for Jesus is if those that are interacting with Jesus, if those are converting to Jesus and they're getting baptized, if they're being discipled. That teaching is really all well and good, but if there's not, if we're not making disciples in the process, then we're heading, then we're keeping score wrong. The going, and I think when we think of going, we think of like going on a mission trip or going to evangelize. But really, the context of the scripture, Jesus is saying, as you go, meaning as you live, as you go to work, as you spend time with your family, as you have a meal, make disciples. And this sounds a lot. It sounds like way too much. There's no way that we'll be able to do this. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack this word disciple. And disciple for the audience that Jesus is saying, they knew what a disciple was. You see, in rabbinical Judaism, which means just rabbi Judaism, they would always have a rabbi and they would have disciples. They would have a teacher and they would have learners. And the goal of the disciple was to become as much as they could like the rabbi. A compliment of a disciple would be, may the dust of your rabbi fall on you, basically. Like you're that attached to the person. You're that close to them. You're mimicking them in all that they do. Now that is very common to the culture in Judaism. However, what I want you guys to notice, this is really interesting, is that the word disciple doesn't really appear at all in, in any of the epistles. So any of Paul's letters, any of, those, any of the letters that we have beyond the book of Acts. And I think the reason is, is that there's a culture, there's a context difference for disciple making. 
that God had set up from the beginning of time that we would understand what it means to make disciples by how we parent children. That as, as we parent children, as we interact with children as parents, that we would follow in a similar pattern of discipleship. And you think about what Jesus did for us. And you think about even your own calling as a parent. When you have your child, there's nothing that you wouldn't do for them. And you want them to do greater things than you've even done. I mean, that, isn't, what, isn't that amazing that Jesus would say that? He would say, that you're going to do greater things than I am. That that was the desire of Jesus' heart. And it was to his, to his pleasure to give us the Holy Spirit so that we could continue on. But also, there's another way to interpret disciple. If you, if you just inter, or if you translate the word disciple into the Greek, it means, mat, hold on, I, I had this, and then I, I knew I even put the pronunciation here, Matthias. Yes. All right. Which literally translates as learner. And, and so I just want to, I want to kind of unpack that a little bit. I want to unpack what it means to be a learner of Jesus. I want to unpack the role that we see in the structure of the way that God created family and what Jesus came to do. And so as a learner, as a lifelong learner of Jesus, one of the ways that we learn is by listening, by listening and responding. And the reason I want to start out with this is because we, we use this way of learning often. It's the classroom type learning. It's honestly kind of what I'm doing right here. I'm, I'm teaching and you're listening, right? And, and there's a, a fatal flaw, though, that happens when we just try to learn about Jesus from this perspective, from this relationship, and the reason I know that is because I kind of know it from my own life situation, right? So we're all family here. We, uh, so I, I want to be honest with you that I don't always do the best just sitting and listening and then applying to my life. Maybe you guys can relate to this situation. Maybe not. Probably not. But there's sometimes on Sunday mornings when I'm just like, oh, Man, God, you did something amazing. Whoa, like, I'm so convicted. Oh, my gosh. I'm just overflowing with just, like, thoughts about you and all these things that you're doing in my life. And then, like, dinner time rolls around, and I'm just like, what did we talk about? What? And like I said, I know this isn't you guys. I'm not. I'm not. You guys are going to remember all the things that I'm saying down to the word you guys aren't me, and that's okay. But for me, it's almost like I just, I just lose it. I lose it in the moment. And, and Jesus even talked about this a lot. That there's a difference between just hearing and actually listening. That there's a difference between hearing the word and applying it to your life. One of my favorite scriptures is James 1, 22 through 24. 
And it says that don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Oh, that's supposed to be James 1. Sorry, there's no James 7. Anyways, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. And you'll see yourself and walk away and forget what you look like. I think one of the most profound tools of the enemy for me is forgetting who I am. Forgetting whose I am. And forgetting who calls me son and I can call dad. Because a lot of times we will read it, we'll see it, we'll hear it. But we don't allow it to go from here to here. To penetrate our hearts or even to respond to it. And it's really easy for us to forget what we look like. It's really easy for us to forget who we are. And so if we're just depending, if we're just depending on this for all of what we're receiving from Jesus about who we are and applying it to our lives, I'm sorry, but we're missing it. I know it. You know it. There's times when you feel like you can go to church, you can receive from Jesus, but then almost feel like you haven't gone anywhere, that you're stuck. And so there's some practical ways to apply this truth to our lives. One of the great ways, going back to the example of grocery shopping for me, is that Lainey will not only call me, she will text me the list, and that is great. There you go, Dustin. Preach. So true. And I have to have that, and I will go back to it, and I don't have ability to cross it off, so that makes it even a little bit more of a challenge, because I'm like, did I ever get this? Anyways, my struggles. But, so I think writing something down is really important, and I think that's a helpful part of the process. But like I said, this type of learning is incomplete. If we just stick with this, if you just receive from me up here once a week, it's incomplete when it comes to learning about Jesus. And the reason I know that is that let's say, for example, you needed open heart surgery. And you're in the waiting room, and it is a stressful moment, right? And the doctor comes in, and it's, it's me. <laughs> How's it going? I'm going to be performing your open heart surgery today. Just so you know, I read everything about open heart surgery. So I'm good, and I've watched every episode of Grey's Anatomy, so I know <laughs> everything about open heart surgery. And I've even watched a couple YouTube videos. So go ahead. We're going to go ahead and give you your sedation, and we're going to lay you down. How comfortable and confident are you going to feel in my ability to perform open-heart surgery, right? Yeah, I don't see any hands. That's okay. You see, just like in doctors, and just like in several trade fields, and just like in most, most job anywhere, there's a... There's a process to become a learner. You need to have somebody to imitate. You need to have somebody to learn from. You need to be apprenticed. You need to allow yourself to learn from somebody that's already gone before you. 
You see, I think there's something really fascinating about Jesus' ministry because we have these stories all through the Gospels and we hear about Jesus teaching and healing and feeding and it can kind of feel like we're just have to always do a bunch of stuff for the kingdom of God constantly. Do, 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 do. Gotta do this, gotta do this, gotta, gotta, gotta break bread and feed a bunch of people. Gotta go heal people. Gotta go walk on water. Gotta do all this stuff. But studies show, and a lot of theologians believe that half of Jesus' ministry was just spent with his disciples. Just spending time with his disciples. Teaching them. Showing them. Drawing them away from the crowds. So that they could learn from him. So that he could begin to intimately talk to them. And so they could walk with him. And I love this scripture, and we, we quote it often, especially when it comes to our situations, but it's Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. And this is Jesus talking here, and he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give is light. Now, when I first read this verse, and I was actually talking to my wife uh, about this, she confessed that when she first heard the word yoke, she thought it was like an egg cracked open, right? You know, so Jesus is like ceremonially cracking open a chicken egg and saying, take my yoke, you know? It's not that, don't worry. Uh... No, it's all right. It's all right. I know. No one else is able to respond. I'm sorry. It's okay. She gave me permission. Um, and, but for me, like, I've always thought of a yoke as uh, just one yoke for an oxen, right? That this one oxen would pull a plow, and Jesus would take whatever, like, kind of beat-up yoke that we had and give us this, like, cooler yoke, like, golden or bedazzled or something like that. And it would be, like, great. And I'd be like, I'm ready to go now because I got the Jesus yoke on. But, we were both wrong, but for the agrarian culture, the piles were so heavy that they had to have multiple oxen on a yoke, and they would be connected together. And what the farmers would do is that they would pair a younger oxen with an older oxen, because the younger oxen would just want to go and plow ahead and go as hard as he could, and he would be exhausted through the middle, through, before the middle of the day and wouldn't be able to accomplish everything they wanted to do. And so they would pair an older oxen with a younger oxen so that the younger oxen could learn from the older ox, so that the ox could learn the pace of what to do, to know when to turn, when to slow down, when to speed up. And so when Jesus is saying, take my yoke, Jesus is saying, attach your life to mine. Allow me to pace you. Allow me to walk with you and give you everything that you need regardless of the circumstances. You see, there's something about being connected to Jesus to where you can just let him lead and give you that pace. And you know what's the really beautiful thing about that is eventually that young oxen gets old. And then he's paired with a younger oxen. And that ox gets to teach that younger oxen what it means to pace yourself. And so I think when we get heavy burdened, when we get overwhelmed, 
a lot of times we'll just go and do or try to figure out what we can do to, to get through this situation. And Jesus is inviting us on a journey to imitate him, to attach what our situation is, whether it's a marriage issue, whether it's financial, what it, whatever it is, allow Jesus to pace you. Allow Jesus to give you the times to slow down, speed up, or even just stop. Because he is humble and gentle. And you, I love this, will find rest for your souls when you attach yourself to Jesus. When you allow him to lead you, when you imitate him. So, and I, and I love that even just that there's the old oxen and the young oxen and now they, train, they trade places. And I think about the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul had a really bold statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's telling the church in Corinth, church that he knows and he's very intimately involved with. He planted this church. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That I've learned what it is to walk with Christ. I've learned the pace of life. I've learned the direction to go. I've learned how to surrender and submit to his direction because his yoke is easy and his burdens are light. And I have found rest for my soul. And so being a learner of Jesus is not only hearing and responding and applying to your life, and it's not only imitating Jesus because that's still not complete. And here's how I know that. How many of you have taken a foreign language in school? Maybe. Okay. All right. Good. So I took four years of Spanish, and I don't know Spanish. And that was very evident to me, actually. I was on a trip in college, and I was down in Mexico, and I got lost. And I didn't know Spanish. And they didn't know English. And there was a lot of hand motions, and I was like, I hope I find my way back. You see, it's not just that we have to learn in the classroom. It's not that I could just learn Spanish in the classroom. It's not that I could even have a, a tutor that could just teach me everything that they knew. So much about learning is also immersing yourself. See, my brother, he studied abroad in Italy for a year. And this was 18 years ago. And he became pretty proficient in Italian. Even to this day, he's able to speak Italian. And as much as I had four years to learn Spanish and he had one year to learn Italian. His level of knowledge and all that he's experienced has been so much greater than mine and his proficiency has carried on so much further than mine has. Because it's not just that we can, I can sit here on stage and tell you what it is to follow Jesus. And even you can have people that are, you're connected to in your life that are helping walking with you or even you're just walking with Jesus and imitating him is that we need to be immersed in a culture that loves Jesus and loves people. And that, to me, was the thing that was a game changer. Because when I grew up, I grew up going to church. And I would have all of these spiritual ups and downs, where I would come in and have these great spiritual experiences. I was even involved in my youth group, and so I was connected to the youth pastor. 
And, and so I was getting discipled by him, but I never really immersed myself into a community. And it wasn't until I was 26 years old that God got a hold of my heart and God brought me into a community and everything changed after that. And so if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be discipled by Jesus, if we want to experience all that Jesus has for us, to become a learner of Jesus requires these things. And, and I would say that my frustration was that I was hoping that I could get by with just one of them. It says in Acts 2, 42-47, it's talking about the believers as the first church has started and Peter has preached his message and 3,000 people have come to know Jesus and the church movement is blowing up already. It says here in verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. There was a deep sense of awe that came over all of them and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and they shared the money to those in need. They worshipped together in the temple each day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Shared meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, each day the Lord was adding to their fellowship those who were being saved. And this is, what we, this is what we want to model here at ECC. Is we believe that you grow best in your walk with Jesus. If, you're, if you want to live a life that Jesus has called you to in significance, we believe that you grow best in the context of community. But community is usually the first one to go. Because we get busy. Our schedules get overwhelming. And it says this in Hebrews 10... 23 through 25, it says, Let us hold tight without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. This is kind of the teaching aspect of it, the hope that we have in Jesus, trusting him for his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, meaning that we're connected, we're imitating each other. And then it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of return is drawing near. We cannot neglect this time. And I just, maybe think back. Maybe think back in a time where Jesus is doing, was doing something radical in your life and it felt like it was being sustained. It may or may not be the case, but I would, I would probably bet that that was happening as you were connected with other people. And you were connected with men and women, brothers and sisters in the family of Jesus. And so I want to close with this question that I want to ask you. Is this really worth it? I mean, is this, is this worth it? Is it going to be worth it to do this, to go this route? Because Jesus said this many times, he said that there's a cost. There's going to be a cost to this. If you want to be my disciple, it's going to cost you something. You know, it, will, it could cost you your, it will cost you your time, your energy, your resources. It will cost you relationships. You may lose friends. 
You may lose a person that you're dating. It may cost you your priorities. You may spend less time focusing on some things that maybe are taking up too much time. So we have to ask ourselves, is it worth it? And I think that's an honest question. Because it's really interesting because the disciples even asked that question to Jesus. Is this really worth it? You see, there was this guy, and we don't even know his name. We just know him as the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler shows up and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, all right, well, you got to keep all the commands of the law. You know, honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. And he's like, I got those covered. Jesus, like, really, I'm good there. Like, what else do I need to do? And Jesus looks at him with compassion and he says, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. You see, Jesus extended the exact same invitation that he extended to his 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, come follow me. This literally could have been a 13th apostle. But it says that he went away sad because he had great possessions. And now I think we can get really lost there because we can just say, okay, this is about money. And it's not about money. This is about what is preventing you from saying yes to fully following Jesus. Because it really may not be money in your situation. But it may be something else. It may be control. It may be a relationship. It may be your family. It may be a hope and dream that you think is going to make you happy. It may be work. It may be status. Whatever it is, that's something for you and the Holy Spirit to talk about. But there was an unwillingness for this rich young ruler to lay it down. And you know, part of that is just because I don't know if he trusted what Jesus said. That he trusted that if, if you said, I'm gonna, if I give up all of these things, Jesus, I'm going to have treasure in heaven. And so he walks away sad. And so the disciples are like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I don't know if we signed up for the right thing here. You know, like who, then who can be saved? Who really can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. With God, but with God, everything's possible. And then Peter pipes up because that's normal Peter, right? He goes, we've given up everything. We've given up our houses, our homes, our families, What will we get in return? And Jesus says this. Assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will sit on 12 thrones, judging 12 tribes of Israel. And anyone who has given up houses, so this this is our application here. Anyone who has given up houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children, or property for my sake will receive what? A hundred times hundred times more and eternal life. So we have to ask ourselves, do we trust Jesus? Is that really going to happen? Or is Jesus lying? And if that's the case, then I have to ask you another question. If you're asking yourself, well, this is going to cost me too much, how much is it going to cost you to say no? How much are you going to lose and miss out on if you say no? Because the rich young ruler is telling us, he's probably crying out to us, I missed it. I had it. 
the chance. I had the opportunity. And I said no. And Jesus is extending this invitation to us every single day. He's extending this invitation to you this morning. Come and follow me. Come, learn from me. Come, allow me to walk with you. Immerse yourself with my body, my people, the people that love me, the place where you can be fully known and loved and fully received, the place where if you find me, you get everything you need. 